Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Okay, hello, good afternoon, and welcome to The Late Lunch. This is Ken Murray sitting in for Jerry Kelly. Jerry is taking the day off, but he'll be back in the hot seat on Monday. Now, if you want to get in touch, our number is 86 658 That's 1-800-658, and the prefix is 86 now, traditionally, the Irish have had a reputation for being fond of the gargle, fond of the drink. And if you're a person who takes a lot of alcohol, you might want to listen to uh, my first guest on the programme. Alcoholism affects large numbers of people in this country. There's hardly a family in the land that either doesn't have a sibling or a cousin or a brother or a sister or even a friend who's fond of a drink. The problem is with alcohol in this country is that some people don't know when to stop and when they don't know when to stop they can make their own life a misery and those around them a misery and that appears to be the case with my first guest. Keith Sheeran is aged 40. He's from Wilkinstown in County Meath. And uh, anybody actively involved in the GAA in Meath may be aware of Keith. And uh, Keith has opened up about his drink problem and he joins me on the line right now. Good afternoon, Keith. Hi, Ken. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. This is uh, a thing that not everybody wants to talk about, but hopefully your story may make people listening in who have a problem with the gargle that maybe they need to stop and they need to seek help. First of all, Keith, let me begin by asking you, when did you take your first drink? And if you can recall, you know, whether you thought, oh, this is great stuff, I want more of this, or was it something you drifted into? Yeah, I think I drifted into it more than anything else. I'm uh, I'm originally from Trim. My first my first memories of drinking would be up in the fields with the lads and at thirteen or fourteen and, and yeah, but it didn't it certainly didn't take over at that early stage, if you know what I mean. As 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 my adult life went on, that's when it it took over, if you know what I mean. There's a few incidents or whatever that, that kind of that kind of propelled the alcoholism that was within within me, I suppose. Yeah, I don't drink myself, uh, but I did drink for about a year, but just didn't particularly like the taste of it. But I found when I did drink, uh, I wasn't drinking because I liked the taste of it. I sort of was drinking because, well, all my little gang of lads uh, were doing it and you, you went along with the flow. Did you find that you were drinking because all your little circle of friends were drinking um, and you sort of wanted to maintain, I suppose, a position within that group of friends because you feared that if you didn't drink, you might be isolated. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a fantastic point. Like, I don't know, I don't know many people that, that drink would actually turn around and say, Do you know what, 
you know what, Keith? I actually love the taste of Heineken or I love the taste of vodka. You know, it's not. It's the effect. It's going with the flow. And for me, definitely, you know, uh, I suppose I started drinking alcoholically about nine years ago. And uh, for me, it was the effect. It wasn't. There was nothing to do with the taste. It was the effect of, of getting that point in. And once you're two or three points in, uh, you start to feel that effect, you know. And it starts to numb the stuff that's going on outside outside the pub, if you know what I mean. Sure. So you were drinking for the effect and, you know, w- were you drinking pints all the time or shorts um, or was it a mixture of both? No, it was pints. I was very much a pint drinker, a pub drinker. And I suppose for me, it kind of escalated, as I said, about eight or nine years ago when I went to the doctor and I was diagnosed with depression, like so many people are. You know, and instead of being proactive, I was uh, I, I went the other way and I said, God love me, pour me, pour me. And then eventually it was pour me a drink, you know. Uh, so I started manipulating my depression to 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 kind of justify drinking. Sure, if you had depression, you'd be drinking too. You know, I was a master manipulator, and most alcoholics and addicts are. But we're always manipulating in addiction. We're always manipulating uh, our next session, our next row to justify going for a uh, for a drink or going to buy a bag of cocaine or to go and gamble. You know, master manip- manipulators. Okay, let me come to the cocaine a little bit later on, but yeah, was was the depression leading to more alcohol or was it a case of the more you drank, the more you became depressed? Oh, 100%. Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. Uh, you know, I was on medication for depression, but I might as well be taking Smarties because I was drinking with them, you know? Uh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. The, the alcohol certainly did, certainly did uh, heighten my depression. There's no doubt. And I just want to emphasise as well, Ken, before you want to further that, for me, the issue isn't alcohol. For me, the issue is my reaction to alcohol. You know, I have no issue with anyone going for a pint, uh, sitting down and meeting the lads or going out for with the other half for, for a meal and a few pints. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I'm one of the tiny percentage that if I'm out having a pint with you, Ken, uh, all I'm thinking about is how I'm going to manipulate a row to go on the beer the next day and how am I going to get to the early house. That's, that That was my, my mindset, if you know what I mean. But... Th- Definitely the depression, uh, the the alcohol definitely uh, heightened the depression. Yeah, I did a series once for RT Radio back in the 90s about alcoholism in Ireland, and there appeared to be uh, two types of individual who consume alcohol. There's the person who takes alcohol and becomes a very quiet, uh, placid individual that wouldn't harm the proverbial fly, and then there's the person who takes alcohol and becomes an absolute monster. Were you one of those individuals? I'd say, Ken, I, I think there's more than two. I think there's more than two types. I think I'm stuck somewhere in the middle, you know. Uh, you know, I wasn't a nice person. You know, I, I cer- certainly wasn't a nice person. You know, uh, you know, I, I could really, really hurt you with my tongue. Uh, and some of the things I, I, I said to people and some of the things I said, you know, my behaviour around my children as well, you know. Uh, yeah, I would be somewhere in between them two, that, them two categories. Uh, yeah, and it's still, there's still shame in that. But uh, that was then, and this is now, you know, and there's nothing I can do about that. Okay, well, you you, you say that you would manipulate a row or a fight. Mm. Um, You know, can you ever recall assaulting somebody to the point that you you caused them life-changing injuries, or did it get that bad? No, absolutely not, Ken. No, absolutely. When I I say manipulate a row, I would uh, would be in the shop today walking away, and uh, you would come in, and I'd manipulate a row with you to justify going for, for, for a drink. You know, it wasn't necessarily when I was drunk, but uh, it, was, it was, for me, it was the whole time, geez, that Ken has after wrecking my head. 
I need a pint. You know, there's manipulation in the shop. If it was too busy, I'd need a pint because I'm after having a crazy day. If the shop wasn't wasn't busy enough, sure, I have to have a pint. The shop is busy. The shop isn't busy. You know, that's the manipulation I'm talking about. Sure, justify sure. going for a drink. Sure, and you know, did it ever get to the point where you'd have an argument with somebody or an assault with somebody, and before you knew it, the guardie were at the door? No, absolutely not. It wasn't absolutely that bad. Not. No, no, it, it it's absolutely not. It's. Uh, you know, there's, there's many different types of alcoholics, you know, and for me, and that's the, that's the one common misperception, it's not about the amount you drink or it's not about it's your reaction to, to alcohol. I was a, I was a binge drinker, Ken, sure. you know, I didn't drink every day, but, uh, the, like, if I wasn't on one of my binges, I was out training to do a half marathon. That was a contradiction, you know, it was, uh, no, I certainly was never violent or, or anything okay. like that. Well, let me ask you this question. You know, when you would take alcohol and you became a very difficult individual, mm. when you would sober up, would nobody take you aside and say, look, Keith, you were out of order yesterday. You need to get your act together. You know, the drink is not agreeing with you. Would would you get the, the pep talk from somebody looking on as an outsider and saying you've got issues? Not really. Not really. I suppose towards the end of my drinking, I, I, I did. Uh, I know I can certainly remember my, my, my twin brother approaching me. I'm saying, Keith, something has to be done here, you know. Uh, but but not not really not really be- before that, to be honest. Uh, I'd often the, the fear we often talk about is uh, waking up in the morning and knowing that you're after doing something or saying something that you shouldn't have, but not quite remembering who you said what to, if you know what I mean. So it, it was the fear when you woke up, knowing that you did something wrong, but not 100% knowing exactly what you did. So you'd have to go around. You'd have to go around fishing to see exactly what you did, but no, there wasn't. There was never, I suppose it's kind of normalised. You know, there's Keith in the corner, or there we all, any country pub or any town pub in in, in Ireland. I suppose you could walk in and say, oh, "There's Johnny in the corner. He's just going to get pissed as usual." You know, he's going to sure. start insulting people. That's just that's just what Johnny does. Right, but uh, am I right in saying that one stage, like you were drinking seven days and nights a week, it, it, was it that bad? Not really. If I was on a binge for 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 a week or so, I would do the seven seven days or seven nights. I, I normally wouldn't do days and nights, but uh, again, it's not about the volume; it's about your reaction to alcohol. You know, it's it's sure. And uh, any idea? Have you ever done a calculation as to how much money you you blew on drink? No, I, I certainly haven't. I certainly haven't. No, but, it's. Uh, but did it ever get to a point where whatever wages you earned, it was gone like two or three days later because the bulk of it was all blown on drink? One hundred percent. No, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. You'd be spending, you'd be spending money that you should be spending on your kids. You know, or you should be, you should be investing in something else. Absolutely. You, I was very aware that, uh, yeah, I was spending money, a lot of money that I shouldn't have been. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, let me ask you the next question. I mean, at at what point did you say this is it? Something has to change. I need to get treatment. What brought that about? And what did you do to, if you like, get treatment? Yeah, I suppose the last couple of weeks of of my drinking was was horrendous. You know, uh, I'm cross addicted. I'm also, I'm a compulsive gambler, and at that stage, I was I was getting the getting the taste of cocaine, if you know what I mean. Uh, the last couple of weeks, it was it was it was it was serious. I was on a I was on a on a on a really 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 bad road. You know, the last weekend of my drinking, there was drink, drugs, and gambling involved in us. You know. Uh, and I remember playing games with, with with my family, with my brother and, and, and my mother. They were going around looking for me in different places, and I'd, I'd ring them and tell them I was in such a place, but I wasn't. I was, I was somewhere else. I was just playing this horrible game with my family, you know. And uh, the drink driving as well—that was just that was off the Richter scale. It really was. The more I drank, the faster I drove. 
you know, it was it was it was it was horrible, you know, and there was uh, there was very disturbing uh, ideas coming into my head about just if if I could just crash the van here and look for a bit of attention again, manipulating, you know, but not knowing what would happen if I crashed that van, you know, it might be just it might be more than an injury, but uh, it was it was the last couple of weeks were were horrendous. Okay, but what I'm asking you is, was there one particular incident where either you said to yourself or somebody said to you, oh my God, I have to do something about this or I'm going to die or someone else is going to die or something's going to happen, the house will go on fire, whatever. Was there one particular incident where you said, that's it, got to put my hands up and say, I've messed up, time for treatment? Yeah, Yeah, I think think the last weekend or two weekends before I finished up, I remember I was out on the Saturday, on the Friday night uh, drinking and there was drugs involved and uh, I came into work to open the shop on Sunday and I think I lasted about two hours. Closed the shop, I just said effort and uh, I went drinking again. Uh, went drinking most of that day, went gambling as well and, uh, you know, I me- I'll never forget the bar, the bartender turned around and saying, Keith, enough bets, you know, and I, I, he was saying much more than that. He was saying, Keith, enough, enough. You know, I remember that, and that has stuck with me. You know, it, it really, really has. But it was, uh, yeah, I think that was the last big session I had. And uh, thank God, with the help of my brother, I got a, I got a referral to Sister Catherine in Tabor House. And, uh, that's in Navin, yeah. That's in Navin. Fantastic, fantastic angel that she is. You know, that's helped so many people over the years around Navin and me. And uh, she got me a referral down to Asheree the Treatment Centre. And, uh, and that's where my recovery started. And that's in Wexford, yeah. Yeah. I think they've won in Tipperary and Wexford, yeah. So 28 days after going to the Asheri Rehabilitation Clinic in Wexford, uh, did it do the job? Honestly, it didn't, because, but that's a reflection on me. It's nothing to do with that fantastic facility. You know, I came out of, I came out of Asheri and I was probably as sick as when I came. And I was like that for, for my first few months in so-called sobriety. You know, uh, the only thing that I was doing properly was not drinking. You know, right. uh, But are you drinking today? No, absolutely not. You're absolutely definitely off. not. Okay. Well, just just, just to wrap it up, Keith, because the clock is against us, but uh, yes. if there's somebody out there at the moment who drinks heavily and is blowing a lot of their income on alcohol or whatever, whether it be uh, pints, shorts, even a bit of cocaine, whatever they're into, I mean, what advice would you give them? It's just for, for them or, or any of their loved ones around them that are, that are, that are looking at the, at the people, you know, it's just there is help out there. There is help out there, but there's one thing: an alcoholic won't look for help until until they really want it. You know, so you're wasting your time until they want it. But there is so much help out there. If it's you know AA meetings, CA meetings for cocaine, you know, it's, it's, the amount of help that's out there is absolutely fantastic. It really, really is. Just reach out, reach out. And as I always say in my videos on social media, if you don't have anyone to reach out to, reach out to me. You know, reach out to Keith Meets on socials, and uh, I'll have a chat with you. But uh, there's so much help out there. But the one thing I have to say, Ken, is my my best day in drinking is is so much. My best day in drinking is is so much worse than my my worst day in recovery. And that, that's that's how I sum it up. You know, I'm living a life now beyond my wildest dreams. I genuinely am. You know, it's uh, it's fantastic. It really, really is. Okay, and so, you're uh, you're off the drink now. What is it? Six years. Six years, yeah, six years last month. And and you feel a better person, and you've regained lots of old friends and all that type of thing. Hundred percent, again, new friends. Ken. Very good, very no. good. Yeah, absolutely.
Keith, uh, we're going to have to leave it there because uh, we'll have to move on. But um, I should add that uh, because of your story, you're saying that you're available if anybody wants uh, a chat and uh, a bit of advice. And uh, if they want to get in touch, just remind us again where they can contact you. Yeah, it's Keith Meets on on socials, uh, on Instagram, Facebook. And uh, yeah, I'm there. Okay, well, listen, well done and uh, the best of luck uh, with the rest of your life and hopefully uh, you won't return to the dreaded drink in later life. We're going to have to leave it there. Thanks very much indeed uh, for taking the call. That's uh, Keith Sheeran there from Wilkinstown, County Meath. And uh, Keith is well known on the Meath GA circuit as a referee. Now, as you know, we always have a, a comedy slot on the programme. And uh, for the next few seconds, well, you can have a listen to Mr Greg Davis and he's about to talk about the hazards of being a middle-aged man. Knock, knock! Who's there? That's how it works! It's called... Comedy? Comedy. Comedy, comedy. Comedy, sir. Comedy! Classic comedy. Classic comedy. On the late lunch. I love comedy. Let me tell you uh, the worst thing about being a fat middle-aged comedian, because I am. Let's not... Let's not mess around. Look look at what I've done to myself. (laughs) I mean, I look pregnant. It's ridiculous. And you know, the worst thing about that is that comedy attracts young, beautiful people. So you come out and you see really attractive, beautiful people and you feel like a fraud when you look like this. Which is why I was so relieved when I came out tonight (laughs) and saw such a sea of ruined middle-aged losers. You don't know what's coming, you people. (laughs) To me backstage, this isn't my original outfit. I was wearing a tight black T-shirt and the producer had asked me to change. Because he said I looked like a bin bag full of coleslaw. That's a quote. My body is... It's disgusting. I looked at myself naked in the mirror... About two hours ago, before I came here, I stood in front of the... Uh, don't woo that, for God's sake. <laughs> I, I looked at myself naked in a mirror, and I thought, genuinely, I thought to myself, you know what that looks like? My body looks like it's been carved by a four-year-old child out of a budget block of ham. <laughs> Just a rough approximation of a male boy. It's all pink and mottled. It's disgusting. <laughs> It's so depressing, and yet, what I love about the male brain is hope springs eternal. I thought this the other day, I was walking down the street. Even though I know my limitations, and I know what this looks like, I'll see a beautiful 20-something-year-old girl walk past me, and there'll be part of my brain that goes, maybe she likes ham. (laughs) And I saw the most amazing example of this. I went to see my granddad, who's in a home, bless him. He's in his 90s. He'd tell you himself, he's finished. He's knackered, right? He's exhausted. He can't walk. He has a little blanket over his knees. And I went to see him, and he was sitting there, and I said, are you all right, granddad? He goes, I'm finished. I hate it. I'm so unhappy. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. He goes, yeah, never mind, love. A nurse walked in. She must have been 25 years of age, right? (laughs) This is what he did. I promise you, he did this. Well, hello there. (laughs) As if there was any 
part of that girl's brain that was thinking, do you know what I fancy today? I fancy being a man who gets out of breath eating soup. There you go, that's uh, Greg Davis there on stage in London talking about being a middle-aged man. An Irish farm has decided to make milk more convenient for people on the run with a new flavoured milk in a can. The Farrelly family from Crossakeel outside Kells have launched the grab-and-go Herbo milk, which is made using whole milk directly from their family farm and naturally treated to extend its shelf life. Sounds like a very exciting idea. I'm joined on the line right now from, from sunny Crossakeel by Anya Farrelly. Good afternoon, Anya. Anya, tell me all about Herbo milk. How did this idea come about? Well, I suppose Herbo is a range of, uh, as you say, can't can uh, canned healthy flavoured milks. It's made uh, using the whole milk that comes directly from the farm. It contains only natural ingredients. It's high in protein and calcium and it's low in added sugar. I suppose the idea came about and um, the consumption of milk has changed over the last 20 years. And when you look at the convenience milk shelves, milk doesn't, or the convenience drink shelves, milk doesn't really feature at all. So I suppose we, when we started to look at that, we thought there, there had to be a market for milk in mass. There had to be an opening for milk. And um, there are some alternatives on the market at the moment, but they would have a reputation of being high in sugar and full of nasties. And to be honest, they're not, you know, taste probably isn't the first priority in a lot of those drinks. So we wanted to make something that was tasty and that gave consumers comfort about where the, where the product, the, you know, the origins of the milk. Um, and really, you know, had health benefits and gave them choices in the convenience milk category. Okay, well, pardon my uh, lack of knowledge on this, but uh, what's different about herbal milk as, uh, we'll say, compared to an ordinary two-litre container of milk? I mean, if I go into a shop and I see herbal on a shelf uh, and I see herbal milk, uh, straight away I'll assume it's milk. But what I'm, yeah. what I'm trying to ask you is, what's in this tin of milk that I won't get with your normal two-litre container? Sure. Well, the first thing is it's in a 250 ml can. So that's the first thing. It's grab and go. It's much more convenient. But it's, there's flavours in it. So it's flavoured milk. So it's tastier. There's a, there's a kind of an, a, 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 an added benefit in the taste set, section. It's much more indulgent. And um, it's made using whole milk. So it's, it's creamy and indulgent taste. It has added protein. And um, so there's 15 grams of protein in every serving which gives it a satisfying uh, feel. It's almost like an energy kick. Um, and then, of course, there's the natural flavours that we add that make it very tasty. Um, it's very high in calcium. It's got 100% of your vitamin D, your daily vitamin D requirements. Um, and it's got no nasties, low in added sugar, and none of those, you know, the nasties that you see in other, in other um, cans. Right, so is it a bit like, um, if you like, for the want of a better description, a sort of a smoothie? It's milk with other things added in, and it's just like a, it's like a tasty drink that you would take if you know you had uh, an option between, dare I say it, Coca Cola or Seven Up or a can of Herbal. Exactly, it's it's designed to give consumers options, and to you know, particularly designed for consumers who are looking to make healthier choices. So we would say, you know. It, it can be enjoyed at any time of the day. So it could be a, a, a morning energy boost. It could be a pre- or post-workout protein boost. 
Um, or it could be just something, you know, a refreshing drink that you pick up during the course of the day. Um, so it's very much, you know, it, unlike a smoothie, you know, a smoothie is slightly different in that it's, it's more food stuff. Um, Herbo is, is naturally naturally nourishing. So it's, it's milk-based. It's 97% of the can is milk, but it's just, it's an indulgent taste as well. So it's, hopefully it's different to anything else you can pick up on the shelves at the moment. Okay, so when you come up with this idea, did you have to sort of uh, check the marketplace to see if there was other drinks out there similar, or did you just decide, yeah, we'll go ahead, we'll make this, and we'll 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 fight our own way on the busy market shelves? No, we didn't. This is this concept has been brewing for about two years now. Um, so we, yeah, we did. We had to look at the marketplace. We looked at the marketplace not only in Ireland but across Europe because you know you'd be hoping the long ter- in the long term that herbal will hit shelves beyond Ireland. Um, so yeah, of course you have to look at what's out there. We did a lot of research with Bordia on consumer trends. What were uh, customers looking for? What were people looking for? Um, in their in their food stuff, and we, you know, a lot of that returned. It kind of supported what we thought, and um, but it also influenced where we started in terms of flavors and health benefits. So, you know, the research showed us that people are looking for additional protein. That's important to them. Vitamin D came back as something that was really important to consumers, and they're looking for easy ways to incorporate these things into their diet. Um, so yeah, we looked at everything on the marketplace. We looked at the content, the back of pack on all of all of the, the other products. And I think Herbo stands on its own in terms of its you know, its natural credentials and it's it's lower definitely in added sugar and, and hopefully it it goes some way to changing the reputation of flavoured milk in the marketplace. Okay, but I suppose what I'm trying to explore here is that when you got the idea, in terms of getting the business up and running, uh, who did you approach for advice and support and whatever grants are going to get businesses up and running? I mean, who are the people you spoke to to get this moving? Yeah, there's loads of there are loads of supports out there. So we um, we luckily got accepted onto a program called Foodworks, um, which is a joint venture between Board Bia, Chagask and Enterprise Ireland. And that's a programme that went on for nine months um, and it really helped us formulate a business plan and challenged us a lot in terms of our ideas and what we were about and what we were trying to achieve. Um, so we had that support. Um, we also had the supportive leader need partnership in terms of grants and allowing us, fund, helping us to fund some of the equipment that we needed. Um, Enterprise Ireland has been really supportive. The local enterprise office has been really supportive. And actually other people in business have been really supportive to us. Um, we're a member of the Boyne Valley Flavours Group. Um, and, and the support you get in those groups has been invaluable to us, just in terms of, you know, people who've walked the road before you, have made all the mistakes and can really help you in terms of just advice and general day-to-day. And okay. so we've had loads of support. Yeah, and in terms of how you're doing at the moment, uh, how is the business doing? I mean, are the big shopping brands taking your product and, you know, is demand for the product growing? How, how are you yeah. currently in terms of the business development? So it's going really well. Um, we only launched it onto the marketplace in uh, May, 
And um, so we're in, although I say we've, it's two years um, ruminating, it, it took us that long to get it to the market. Um, but we're now in over 70 stores across Leinster. And um, we, local retailers have been incredibly supportive of us. It's selling better than we thought it would, to be honest. Uh, we thought it would take time to get to where we are now in terms of uh, just rates of sale. The feedback has been really, really positive. Um, so, yeah, it's going really well. It's growing by the day. Um, and it's just a case of being out there and talking to people, really. Uh, retailers love the concept. Yeah, and in terms of, you know, you're out in Cross Akeel, um, how many jobs have you created and what's the, if you like, the, the, the plans for the company going forward in terms of expansion? Yeah, so we've, we have three jobs. Uh, we have three people hired at the moment um, and that needs to grow pretty quickly. Um, plans for expansion, I suppose, at the moment we're looking at retailers beyond Leinster. So we focus very much on Leinster to start with. Um, nationwide is, is the next port of call, but I suppose in the you know in the in the medium term, the next twelve months, we'll be looking to to grow the market beyond Ireland. So it's it's, it's very much um, a perfect product for an export market, and um, we believe that there is potential to to for this product in the UK and Europe and beyond. And um, so we have spoken to some people. We've started to look at marketplaces uh, beyond Ireland. Um, and we're looking at really extending that. So that will mean a lot more jobs, a lot more production, an increased production facility, and all of the things that go with that. Very good. Well, listen, the best of luck. It's great to see, uh, if you like, an organic business starting from very humble beginnings and growing and growing as time moves on. Uh, you're doing your bit like Jim Connell to put Cross Akeel on the map. So uh, well done and the best of luck. That's uh, Anya Farley there on the phone there from uh, Cross Akeel in North Meath. OK, more to come. We'll take a break. Thanks, Anya. There you go. That's the Cranberries in a song called Linger, taking us up to almost 24 minutes past two on this Friday. Friday afternoon here on The Late Lunch with myself, Ken Murray. Jerry Kelly will be back with you on Monday. Now, moving on to a somewhat uh, sensitive subject, and uh, a grieving daughter is calling for changes on the public reporting of inquests after having to learn about the medical details of her dad in a newspaper. Aoife Bradley's father, Aidan, aged 82, died last October after a tragic fall at his home in Coote Hill in County Cavan, where he had been living independently. Now, Anya said she didn't want to attend the inquest as she had been told her beloved dad had probably taken a heart attack and fallen on October the 5th last. And um, she joins me on the line right now. So, Aoife, you were under the impression that your dad had died of a heart attack. You went along to the inquest. What happened then? Hello, Ken. How are you? Um, No, I didn't go to the inquest. I decided not to go. My aunt and my uncle went. Um, So I just believed, you know, that... Look, my dad was found at the bottom of the stairs, but I just, you know, wanted to believe that he had had a heart attack and had fallen. And I was quite happy to live my life with that. Well, not happy, but content with, you know, knowing that this is what happened. So I choose not to go to the inquest. My aunt and my uncle went and they were in the room. And there was another man there, but they weren't aware of who this man was. Nobody approached them and said, look, this is the reporter from the Anglo-Celt. That's the newspaper in County Cavan, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And 
So my aunt and uncle heard what had happened and they got to ask whatever questions they felt they needed to ask. Because my aunt that was there, she's the person that found my her own brother at the bottom of the stairs. So, you know, those questions that Nula wanted to ask and she asked and, you know, that was fine. And my brother in Australia, the doctor had said that the full report will be sent to you in Australia. So my brother said, look, Aoife, in time, you might want to read it. That's your decision. So I was happy with that. And I said, OK. And the Tuesday after my father's inquest, um, there was a beautiful picture of Daddy in the Anglo-Celt with nearly word for word what was reported that day in the, at the coroner's report. OK, but was there something in the newspaper coverage that you had an issue with? I mean, you were led to believe, I think, that your dad had died of a heart attack, but uh, the coroner delivered a different result. Is that the case? Yeah, yeah. Look, you know, that was my belief of what happened. So, you know, hearing that it wasn't that he died because of the fall, okay, that was something that I'd have to deal with, you know, in time for me to choose to read the coroner's report. That's just one situation that I'm upset about. But the other situation is is that they mentioned medical history that has absolutely nothing got to do with why Daddy died. And there was, you know... I've since heard what was mentioned, but that they mentioned that he'd prostate cancer. The family didn't know this. You know, Daddy was 82. He probably thought, look, it's manageable. I'm on medication. You know, I'm going to be fine. I'm not going to worry my family. You know, so, but but in the coroner's report, they chose to tell whoever buys the Anglo-Celt the details of my dad's medical history. Also, a man of 82, still working. He used to enjoy a Jemison whiskey with blueberries in it. You know, his little nightcap, which a lot of people do. But yes, they choose to put in the units of alcohol that was in in his body. They choose to put that into the report. And you, people have read the report and the amount of units of alcohol that was in daddy's system was nothing of a high level. You know, he had his nightcap and that was it. And okay. what I'm trying to what I'm trying to stop, Ken, is, you know, the detail that can be published. Like this was not as I asked the editor in the Anglo Celt, was this report proofed? And I couldn't get an answer. Okay, well let me ask you a couple of questions and I have to be objective here because I've covered four or five inquests myself in my own career as a reporter. Uh, the question I want to ask you is, um, was what was published in the Anglo-Celt newspaper different to what the coroner announced at the inquest? I mean, was there anything inaccurate or was no, it just that... No, no, it was the full report. Yeah, it was the full report. Okay. There was nothing... No, there was nothing that wasn't true. Okay, so there was no shoddy journalism or anything no, like that? No, 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 okay. no, no. That's n- none of that, anything that I'm trying to change here. Nothing, I'm not questioning, you know, it was the full report and it is 100% right what they did put in, as in what did happen. Okay, but I suppose what I'm trying to explore here is, 
is your gripe with the the, the, the inquest process or is your gripe with the Anglo-Celt newspaper who at the end of the day, in your own words, uh, published a very accurate coroner's report? My gripe is that there's no compassion within the coroner's report for it to be publicly put into a newspaper, Ken. It is nobody else's business what happens to a family member. Okay, well... And for I, I... the same report, Ken, in the same newspaper, another report was issued of a man with four lines, no medical history, nothing, four lines. My dad had half a page and a picture. So what my gripe is, is how much detail should be put into a report about a loved one. Okay, well... Medical history, sure. and asking, like that's irrelevant of how my father died. Okay, well, I, I'm not taking sides here, but you, you, you do realise that uh, inquests are, if you like, a public forum. Members of the public can go into a coroner's court, uh, members of the media can go in, and whatever is said in the coroner's court by the coroner, uh, coroner can actually be reported in a newspaper or indeed on radio or television because that actually is the law. Do you accept that? I, I, only since this has happened to me, I am aware of what can happen, Ken. But the point is as well, is that not one person approached family to say that that is a reporter over there he is working for the anglo says and he will publish so why is my father's report put into the anglo says i'm sure there was hundreds of other um inquests from that what i'm trying to change is the sense and how much if it's law Okay, it will take a long time to change the law. But what I'm saying is, is that how much detail needs to be put in about someone? So, you, 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 yeah, yeah, your gripe is not the actual reporting of the coroner's report. It's the amount of detail. Um, well, look, my gripe is that I don't think it's anyone's public business, law or no law, that it should be in a newspaper for someone to pick up and sit down and have a cup of tea. What happened, and I have 64 different families alone in Ireland, that this has happened to them, and they have been in touch with me since I've gone public with this story. 64 families who were distraught, and again, no one approached them to say, this is the reporter, have you issues with this? There has been some families who have been in contact with me and have said that they were advised that this is a reporter and the family made it clear and said, please do not put this into the newspaper. Okay. The families I'm aware in Navin. So sure. why can it not be a lot more stricter? Number one, I just don't think it's reading for anyone but family members. That's my biggest thing, but that won't change. I, don't, I can't understand why this should be law. Right. You know, that someone can walk in off the street and go and listen to someone else's business. Okay, well, just... Like it's just, the most sensitive, you know, as you said in the, before you interviewed me, it is such a sensitive topic and subject for yeah. it to be exposed 
so publicly. Sure. Well, I just, for the benefit of balance, uh, we were in touch with the Anglo-Celt and they issued a statement and the, the, the statement basically said, uh, I won't go through it all because it's quite lengthy, but they said, we did not approach the family here and we generally do not approach families at inquests as we feel that could be insensitive in itself. It may be that some families are under the impression that inquests are private and are therefore shocked to see them reported in the media. It is therefore important that people are aware that inquests are public and we are liaising with Ongarda Siakona in this regard. And the point I'm going to make to you, Onya, before I... Uh, sorry, Aoife, sorry, Aoife. my apologies, uh, okay. is that uh, the, the current reporting procedure, that is the law. And uh, it's a matter of getting the Minister for Justice to change the law rather than maybe having a go at newspapers because newspapers act within the legal framework. So uh, just to to wrap it up, what are you doing to try and bring about this change? I'm just trying to... I have a petition that I just want signatures from people to, you know, show that they're not happy with this as a law and that hopefully it will be, you know, able to go to the Rockers or go to the, you know, Minister for Justice, whoever needs to see this, that this is, you know, okay, it's law, but like there has been new p- newspapers since families have approached some newspapers within Ireland All right. that they have decided that they're not going to publish. Okay. You know, I- I'm going to have to leave it there. Yeah, I'm going to have to leave it there, Aoife, but uh, basically, Anya, you're campaigning to change the law. No consent, no print, basically, is my petition on change.org. And, you know, I'll need a lot of signatures, but, you know, people, my, my sole purpose on this is protection of other families, that they don't have to go through this devastation that we have had to go through. All right. And that it's very clear that it comes from the coroner's report within the coroner's court and families are aware. And if the law changes, that's a win-win. But I think a lot more sensitivity needs to come in with these right. situations. Okay, Aoife, we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, okay. It's a, a very interesting topic indeed and uh, uh, hopefully uh, things will change to, to your benefit and uh, the, uh, the, the if you like the mission you're on to, to bring about that change. Okay that's Eva Bradley there. We have more to come. We'll take a break. By the way, lots of you getting the TV theme tune correct. It was, of course, the theme tune to Love Island. And uh, the name out of the bag was Lorraine Cooney from Athboy. So well done, Lorraine. I don't know, um, does Lorraine get a prize? She does get a prize, so uh, Louise will be in touch with you on that. So well done, Lorraine. Now, moving on to another another County Mead success story. Um, Mary Sadler is based in Tatestown. It's just outside Navan, and she was once chair of Navan Chamber of Commerce. Her cool swan liqueur is rivaling Bailey's cream and is really going well in the marketplace, and she joins me on the line right now. So, Mary, are you uh, in the market to take on Bailey's and other such cream liqueurs? <laughs> Ken, how are you? Lovely to talk to you. Um, fortunately, the market is big enough for all of us, so I don't thankfully have to go into any hand-to-hand combat with any other brands to to get our space. But now we're up and running and doing very well, thankfully. So what made you think there's a gap in the market? I suppose, I guess Philip was a baby's drinker, um, and what we, what we couldn't see was kind of, you know the way you drink... Um, Maybe a Smirnoff or, or a Gordon's Gin. And then along came Grey Goose or Hendrix. 
So there's always evolution happening in the drinks industry. And Bailey's, to be fair to them, were one of the first out of the blocks being an Irish cream. So, but there hadn't been any evolution in 40 to 50 years. And there's constant evolution in, in every brand, from biscuits to beer to spirits. So we just thought we'd step on and see what we could do with the evolution. Just what was the next, what would the new generation of Irish cream look like? And we were really lucky we happened upon this liquid. Okay, so did you sort of sit down and say, look, if we're going to take on the likes of Baileys, and there's there's a wide range of these uh, liqueur Mm. drinks, uh, did you say, look, we're going to have to offer a taste that's slightly different or is going to contain different ingredients? I mean, what what was your thinking to uh, create a product that would be outstanding, but at the same time, if you like, different? Yeah, it's a really good question. You actually don't think, well, in our case, we did not think of the competition So my husband's a farmer, his brothers are farmers, so they really understood milk, which is at the core, cream is at the core of this product. And cream, unfortunately, is a very bad rep, just it's associated with being a fattening and potentially unhealthy product, but it's actually the exact opposite. And the guys knew a lot about cream and they knew, so we focused more on that. We focused more on how do you make a completely natural cream liqueur? And actually, as it turned out, it's very easy because of the science of cream. And that's how we're able to make such a natural, high-quality tasting product that leaves just such a clean, fresh taste in your mouth. Um, and so that's where we started, was really more about being food producers. How could you make something that reflected the beauty of something that nature already produces? And uh, I think we did a good job. Very good. I believe you're in, is it 450 Irish stores at the moment? Yeah, that'd be right. And, and, and how is it going? Really well. Um, look, like I say, I don't know if you've ever tasted a can or if any of you are listening. I, I don't drink it, at all. Oh. I'm not the man to, uh, you know, uh, express any expertise in the whole alcohol scene. We had, a, dare I say, an alcoholic on earlier on, but um, uh, this is not an area oh. I'm, I've any, uh, you know, detailed knowledge on. But uh, but you, 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 you've, you've penetrated the likes of Super Value, Tesco, Dunn's, O'Brien's yeah. and all these. And yeah. it's going well, yeah? It's going very well. Um, it's very customer focused. It, it's it's you know you 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 have to think of retail as being a sort of a land grab. You know, retailers only have a certain amount of shelf space, and consumers only have a certain amount of of budget and headspace to be. You know, there's new brands coming to the shelves every single day of the week, and there's new flavors coming as extensions to existing brands. So it's really really busy space, the food space. But um, so what we did was we took our time and we built our base very carefully. Uh, one of the major guidelines for us would be if we start something, we finish it. And if we're going to do it, we'll do it really well. And so they're the two guiding principles we operate Yeah, and I, I understand you've broken into the U.S. market. How did that come about? Yeah, the U.S. actually... The, just gotten a slice quite literally it, it's board they are very good the irish food board are very good in terms of international markets so we would have made contact with them and then appeared out and the first place we went bizarrely was new york uh, it was the fastest flight to get and you it's a very structured system there's an importer there's a distributor and then there's retailers and it's really really regulated in the u.s so we're in four you five u.s states now uh, and doing very well. It, like it, none of it's easy, but I don't think anybody listening to this program today is doing an easy job. Everything has its mountains and its hills, and it just depends on the level of determination you have 
the, the other markets were doing quite well in is the UK, which I'm really pleased with because it's about 30 minutes door to door. <laughs> so yeah. It just makes life a lot easier. And, you know, it's a very common advertising covers both. You you can save on overheads when you're, when you're working Ireland and the UK. So I presume the plan is world domination, yeah? That's it, yeah, nothing less, nothing less. We'll, uh, we'll have everybody drinking it. Um, yeah, the plan would be to keep going and to keep finding the customers. We're super lucky. We are super, super lucky. It tastes amazing. That is the one thing. And you needn't add anything to it. If you keep it in the fridge, it'll just pour naturally. If you put ice in it, you can drink it. But you don't need anything. You don't need mixers. You don't need yeah. You don't need to buy a second bottle of anything. The bottle itself. So we've been super, super lucky. And just, w- just one final question before I wrap it up. How, how many people are you employing at the moment? About 30, about 40 people in total. Oh, and now that's us directly. And then... Terra, who make our liquid, and there's others. So we'd have ancillary, oh, very good. a lot of part-time, but 40 directly. Okay, well, dare I say it, uh, best of luck and keep uh, flying the uh, the Royal County flag in uh, wherever you uh, break through into new markets, and we wish you well. That's uh, that's uh, Mary Sadler there, who's the CEO of Cool Swan Irish Cream Liqueur, and they're based in Tatestown, which is just outside Navan. Okay, just uh, want to remind you, by the way, that St. Feckin's GA Club and Tournament Feckin will hold a half marathon and four-mile event on Sunday, the 16th of July at 9am and you can register at myrunresults.com. Okay, more to come. We'll take a break. Late lunch here on LMFM. This is Ken Murray sitting in for Jerry Kelly. Jerry will be back in the hot seat on Monday. The word hot is appropriate because you may or may not have noticed that last Monday, apparently, was the warmest Monday, if not the warmest day in the history of weather records. And if you thought last Monday was warm, it was surpassed by temperatures on Tuesday. And we're told that the seas around us are recording extraordinary high temperatures as well. One man who's keeping an eye and an ear on all this is John Sweeney, Professor Emeritus at Maynooth University. So, John, what exactly is going on? Good afternoon, Ken. Well, it's part and parcel of the ongoing climate breakdown that the world is now experiencing. At the moment, it's very uh, possible to measure global temperature from thousands of stations almost instantly around the world. And when you do that, you find that last Monday um, was... Uh, reaching an average re- an average value which has never been surpassed before by the instrumental record. Those records go back about 50 years reliably, but re- in reality, when you use reconstruction techniques and so on, it's quite likely it was the warmest day ever, uh, maybe for the past uh, 100,000 years, which is, is quite something quite exceptional and indicates the scale of the climate warming we're now undergoing. But rather, as you mentioned, rather surprisingly, that record was then broken the next day. Um, So Tuesday is now the warmest day on record um, in in the instrumental record. So we're seeing quite exceptional events now becoming almost like the norm. I mean, we we read and we learn about extreme events uh, on such a a regular basis now that we become almost blasé about them. Um, But that is is something that I think makes us sit up and think about things. And as you mentioned, at the same time, we're seeing what NOAA in the North American uh, Oceanic uh, Association uh, have decreed to be uh, a Category 4 
uh, marine heat wave. And by that, they mean that the temperatures, especially in the eastern Atlantic and especially around the coast of Ireland, um, they're higher than they've ever been in terms of records. And this is something that has been going on since, uh, I guess, April. And of course, um, sea temperatures change quite slowly. So uh, we're hoping in a way that the seas begin to cool down again a wee bit and this doesn't persist too long. Because if it does, then there is a concern that uh, marine species will be adversely affected, in particular things like seagrass, uh, some of the shellfish families. We may see fish migration and even fish mortality occurring because warmer water, as we know, can hold a lot less oxygen than colder water. So it's part and parcel of, of what we're seeing happening around the globe uh, at the moment. Um, we've seen, uh, I suppose you could almost categorise a marine heat wave as being the marine equivalent of a forest fire or a gorse fire on land that damages marine life in that kind of way if it lasts too long. But it's part and parcel of what we're seeing around the world at the moment and what we're going to have to get increasingly used to, namely, you know, climate breakdown occurring. Okay, let me let me ask you this question. I mean, in the overall bigger scheme of things, I mean, what's happening here is the world churning out more carbon than it should is the greenhouse effect as we're, as we've been told is it becoming uh, more consolidated um, or is there something else going on in the atmosphere that determines that uh, we're getting warmer days we're getting heavier rainfall um, that sometimes uh, you know the leaves don't fall off the trees when they're supposed to is there something else going on that climatologists are worried about Well, if you take the amount of warming that we've seen since 1990, let's say the past 30 odd years, 100% of that warming is due to what we're doing to the atmosphere. There is no natural contribution explaining that particular change in temperature. So we are in charge of global climate at the moment is very different from our grandparents who you know who were very much at the vicissitudes of uh, climate change very much dependent on saving the hay or or doing things which were dependent on them being prisoners of climate and now of course the opposite applies climate is in our hands and it is humans that are changing the climate and causing these warming there is a contribution as well from from natural changes but these are insignificant compared to what we're doing at the moment. Okay, but can I can I just uh, cut across you there, John, yeah. without trying to sound rude? Uh, but you know, there's a drive on here in Ireland that we reduce our carbon output. But the population of Ireland is only five million. It's like the equivalent of the city of Manchester or less than the city of Chicago. Is there any point in the Irish? being the best boys and girls in the class as we strive to reduce our carbon output, while countries like China and India and Brazil are just, you know, moving ahead and ignoring all these climate problems, and they are actually contributing mainly to the problems we're experiencing. Well, that's an argument that's often made, and my attitude towards that is it's a morally bankrupt attitude. If we start pointing the finger at other countries and saying, oh, it's up to them to do something, not us, we're absolving ourselves from responsibility. Now, in terms of of those other countries, if you take India, if you take China, 
they have much lower per capita emissions of greenhouse gases than Ireland. We are contributing proportionately more to this problem than almost any other country in the world. We have emissions which are 50% higher than our EU colleagues on average have. So we are the people, if you like, who cannot point the finger with any credibility at any other country. We have to take charge of doing what we can do to reduce our particular contribution to this problem. And let's be blunt about this. By not doing this, we are accepting that our actions are killing people in the developed world. I heard this very clearly expressed today um, at the Mary Robinson conference in Balana, where it's quite clear that by not taking action, we are uh, passively accepting death and disease and hardship in the developing countries who can least afford to tackle climate change, who are most vulnerable to the problems of climate change. So there is no point in us saying, what about her? What about them? What about India? What about China? Um, where we are, in fact, on, on a per capita basis among the biggest culprits that we can think of okay. in the world today. All right, we're going to have to leave it there. That's uh, John Sweeney, Professor Emeritus at Maynooth University, with uh, a sort of a worrying message about the way the, the world is evolving and the overheating that's taking place in our planet. OK, more to come. We're going to take a break for news. But uh, coming up after the news, we'll have the very song that was number one on this week back in 1987. Five, four, three, two... Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's... Okay, we're back again after the news. Now, as you know, this week, uh, Jerry has been playing the top five, well, certainly the top four up to now, of the songs that were making up the top of the charts on this very week back in 1987. Yesterday, Jerry was brave enough to play a song called Star Trekkin' by The Firm. And like Jerry, to me, it was one of the worst songs ever, but there's divided opinion on that. And I suppose the fact that the song actually got to number one means that somebody out there actually liked it. But we're up to the number one song. And this time back in, oh, this week, actually back in 1987, a duo was on the crest of a wave in terms of success. And they are listed in the Guinness Book of World Records as the most successful UK duo in the music business of all time. They have sold over 50 million records. They're still going strong. But this was the song that... It was number one on this very week back in 1987. It's the Pet Shop Boys. It's a sin. Okay, we're back again. You're listening to The Late Lunch with myself, Ken Murray. Now, it's that time of the week where we look ahead to the sporting action that's uh, taking place over the coming days. Joining us on the line, as usual, is David Sheehan, our Sunday sports presenter. So, David, uh, a busy week, first of all, for Drogheda and Dundalk. And, of course, it's the hurling weekend as well. So let's start with the, uh, the League of Ireland. Yeah, so big game for, for both sides tonight, I suppose. Um, maybe look at the, at the Dundalk-Bohemians game, first of all. You know, Dundalk had that really impressive win last weekend over Shamrock Rovers. Stephen O'Donnell said it was their best performance of the season. I know I was speaking to Adrian Taft, who was doing the uh, commentary on it, and he was, was suitably impressed with them as well. And it feels like it's taken a bit of time for... You know, first of all, they, they had a lot of injury issues in the first half of the season, Dundalk, but it feels like it's taken a bit of time for Stephen O'Donnell to bed in some of the new players and the likes of Conor Malley now are really stepping up and, and performing week in, week out. And I think he's got a bit more of a settled lineup as well. A few players back from injury as well. Andy Boyle, I think, was out for quite a while. So having him back is a big boost 
Uh, although I think he's to go undergo a fitness test later on. They're missing Cameron Elliott and, and Robbie Benson and John Mountney, obviously, for tonight. And the new signing that was announced yesterday, Darren Brownlee, Scottish defender, he won't link up with them until next week. But you look at the table at the moment, Dundalk are fourth, Bohemians are fifth. Uh, there's, what, four points between them. But if Dundalk were to win tonight, they're just a point behind Derry City, who are currently sitting in third place. So if, Dundalk, if Dundalk were to win tonight and Derry were to slip up against uh, Sligo, Dundalk could conceivably jump into third. And, you know, they're only, what are they, seven points back from Shamrock Rovers. I mean, a title challenge is probably a little bit ambitious, but they're right in there in, the, in that mix for second and third spot. They're only three points behind St. Pat's. So it'd be a really big one for them tonight. The only thing, I suppose, maybe that we might look at is the fact they're playing in Europe next Thursday. But there's enough of a gap between the game tonight and the game next Thursday for Dundalk to have a good go with this. I don't think Stephen O'Donnell will be having too much of an eye on that game next week and, and probably can't afford it. They need to keep that good run in the league going. So, you know, Bohemians beaten last weekend by Sligo. That was a bit of a surprise result, uh, the nature of it. So I think Dundalk are well capable of going up there and getting the win. And as I say, if they, if they were to do that, they'd be right back in that top three, three mix again. So, yeah, let's hope they can go up there and get the win at Daily Match. Yes, and of course, uh, as the season draws to a close, the ultimate objective, I suppose, for a club like Dundalk is to get into Europe. So I, I think it's fair to say there's going to be an extra determination uh, to get a result over Bowes. Absolutely. And like as I said, they have that European tie coming up next week and they got in there last year, which was a big achievement for them as well. So yeah, European football for all Irish clubs is a, is a huge carrot and we've seen it with a couple of clubs in the past getting into the group stages of, of the various European competitions and it's it's the financial benefit that it brings, the profile that it brings to the club in terms of attracting new players and everything else. If you can dangle that European football card in front of a player that you're maybe looking at signing in the off-season, that's a big help as well. So, yeah, it's a huge thing for them. And they've had a, a, it's been a little bit up and down this season, as have a lot of other clubs in the division, but they're right bang in the mix there for that European spot at the minute. And as you said, they're only three points off second place at the minute. So, uh, you know, you, you just don't know where Dundalk could finish. But if they keep that run of form going, it'll, be a, it'll certainly be a huge positive for them. And in the meantime, David, uh, Drogheda United are playing Shamrock Rovers and, of course, Shamrock Rovers have been a bit of a bogey side. But uh, if I recall right, Drogheda did get a good result in Weavers Park recently. Yeah, Drogheda a bit of a bogey side for Shamrock Rovers. I mean, they've, they've, uh, they drew with them earlier in the season and then they had that, that really important win and a really impressive win up in Tallis Stadium earlier in the season, which people may remember. Dale Rooney got, got a goal in that game, which was is up there for goal of the season. They won goal of the month and I won't be surprised if it wins goal of the season as well. A brilliant team team goal for them as well. So, you know, Drada certainly have caused Shamrock Rovers quite a few problems in the last couple of seasons and Stephen Bradley won't be taking anything for granted. Shamrock Rovers still top of the table, obviously, and probably most people's favourite still to, to win the league. Um, Barry have fallen off a little bit. St. Pat's have made a bit of a charge, but I think everyone would still fancy Rovers to win it, uh, to win the league, that is. But the game tonight, yeah, like Drogheda have been, you know, doing okay lately. They've lost two of those key players, Freddie Draper and Alicia Hui, who were over on loan from Lincoln City. They've gone back to their parent club. So Freddie Draper had like eight goals in the first half of the season and he was really on form and, and was the main striker they had in the squad. So I think they played Ryan Brennan up front last week. So they're having to chop and change things a little bit and be a little bit creative. They did bring in a new defender during the week, Jamie Egan, who will be uh, cover at the back, particularly with the departure of Ahui, as I said. But they probably need to try and look to bring in a striker as well. Um, but it's really difficult in the in the transfer window to get kind of quality players in. And Drogheda's budget wouldn't be huge, so that's going to be something they're going to have to try and do. But it's not going to be it's not going to be easy for them. But the game tonight will be a packed house at Weavers Park as usual. Rovers have had their uh, their nose bloodied by Drogheda a few times in in the recent time in recent seasons. So I would expect Drogheda to give as good as they get there. 
obviously Rovers would be favourites to win it, but again, you can never bet against Drogheda in that one, and I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they snuck a, a draw in that one. And of course, while Dundalk's main mission is to qualify for Europe, uh, Drogheda United's main mission at this stage is to ensure that uh, they avoid relegation. So they've got a tough run in to the end of the season, don't they? Yeah, and they've, they've kept themselves out of that bottom two for the most part this season. They are currently eight or two points ahead of Cork City. I mean, I think we can say for certain that UCD are going to finish bottom, so Drogheda are trying to stay out of that second from bottom place, which would be at the relegation uh, promotion playoff with one of the teams from the first division. So, absolutely, as you said, Dundalk and Drogheda are probably contrasting ambitions as the season goes on, and that would have been Drogheda's aim at the start of the season, to stay out of that bottom two. They've done a good job in it so far, but as I said, the loss of Freddie Draper in particular, uh, if they can't get somebody in to replace him, uh, they might find goals a little bit hard to come by in the second half of the season. That would be my, my concern. But as things stand at the minute, they're, they're doing OK. But it's, it's going to be, look, it's going to be tough for them. But uh, I have confidence in them to, to keep it going and to stay out of that bottom two. OK, let's move on to GAA. And uh, we've arrived at that stage of the readjusted season where we're into quarterfinals and semifinals and so on. Now, me that are playing Cork tomorrow in Semple Stadium in the All-Ireland Camogie Intermediate quarterfinal, uh, how good is this? Smith team? Well, it's, it's, I suppose it's always hard to know until you get to the, to the back end of the season. And they've been knocking on the door for a few seasons now. I, mean, I was down in Kilkenny a couple of seasons ago when they lost to Kilkenny in a semi-final. They've been there, quarter-final, semi-final for a few years. They just haven't managed to get across the line. Lost the league final to, to Kerry this year as well, narrowly in Croke Park. But they made amends for that defeat by going down to Kerry and getting a win in the group as well. So that was really impressive. For them. They beat Leash as well. They lost to Westmead, but the wins against Leash and Kerry were, were, were sort of certainly notable, and particularly the Kerry game, as I said, having lost that league final. But, you know, Brendan Skeen, he, he talked to Colin Corrigan during the week about, you know, recalibrating things a little bit after that league final and getting things back on the road. This is Cork's second team as well, remember. So Cork's first team in the Camogie will be in the senior grade, and this is their second team. Now, they're still going to be a tough enough to crack. But um, I think Mead are well-equipped, and if they can just play to their, to their potential, Brendan, Brendan Skeen mentioned that they were a little bit flat in that league final. So he'll be hoping that they can put in a, a performance that's kind of justifiable in terms of the ability that they have. And if they can do that, then I, I don't see any reason why they can't win. They've been so close in years gone by um, to getting to a final and, and getting over the line. It's been a few years since they've won it. But, but yeah, I think down in Sample Stadium, big pitch, uh, I'd be back in me to get the win there. Now, let's move on to the Loud Ladies. The intermediate team are playing Roscommon in the Championship relegation playoff. I mean, how tough of a game is this for the Loud Ladies in Kinnegad? Yeah, it's a really tough one for them because, you know, they won the junior in 2019 and came up. And obviously getting promotion to the intermediate grade, it's always going to be a big step up. And they've, you know, they've more or less held their own at that level for a couple of years. But the, the form that they've had this year, they started off the league really well. Won four games, I think it was, in a row. Uh, in the league but the form tailed off a little bit after that and again listening to Kit Henry talking to Colin Corrigan during the week they are decimated at the moment with injuries I think he's six or seven players are out at the minute so it does kind of seem like they're down to the bare bones a little bit and I, I guess the, the thing with these sort of games is are you better off dropping down to to junior and you know re, regrouping and playing at a level that you're comfortable at and trying to come back up to intermediate a little bit stronger or do you want to hang on there in intermediate? Obviously they do and try and build on that as well. But it's, it's certainly going to be a tough game for them. And with the injuries they have, it's, it's going to be really difficult. And I do feel for Kit Henry a little bit because he doesn't seem to have a huge amount of luck. But look, at if they were to go back down to junior, in the long term, maybe it wouldn't be the end of the world. They can regroup, they can come back again and probably win that in the next year or two. But playing at the higher level is always, is always advantageous. And if they can just get that win against Roscommon, 
hold on in the intermediate grade, get a few bodies back in next year, get all those injuries back and get a few new players in, and that'll be the key thing. So it's a really important game for them because you want to stay playing at that higher level. So again, it's going to be tough. They have a lot of injuries, as I mentioned, but let's hope and let's keep our fingers crossed that Loud and Kit Henry can, can get the win there. And finally, David, there's other games on as well. I think Limerick are playing, they're playing Galway at six o'clock in Croke Park and then Kilkenny take on Clare. Um, Limerick have had uh, a difficult start to the season, but they seem to have come good again and Kilkenny seem to be back in really top form. So we're looking at the teams tomorrow that are going to take part in this year's All-Ireland Hurling Final. How do you think it's going to go? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's hard to call at the moment because, you know, you've got, you've got Limerick who have been not at their best this season by any means, but they've, they've been so good in recent seasons, a little bit like Dublin in the football maybe over the years, that they can afford a little bit of a drop-off and they're still just about ahead of, of a few of the teams around them. Galway suffered that heartbreaking defeat for them in the Leinster final, that last gas goal for Kilkenny, but they recovered well to beat Tipperary last time out. So they'll be coming into this game with a lot of confidence. Limerick are missing Declan Hannon, their, their centre-half back and captain, he's a talisman for them. I think they'll be able to absorb that. They do have enough strength to be able to shuffle things around there. So I think, in, in short, I think Limerick will just about have enough to get past Galway. And then Sunday, it's Kilkenny against Clare. Kilkenny, as I mentioned, with that last gas win in the Leinster final. But Clare really put Limerick to the pin of their collar. They beat them earlier in the Munster Championship in the group stage in, in the Gaelic grounds. And then they were narrowly beaten by Limerick in the Munster final. So the smart money, I think, would be on a repeat of those games. The Limerick-Clare All-Ireland final. Thanks very much, David. That's uh, David Sheehan there with a look ahead to the main weekend sport action. And that just about wraps up the programme for today. Jerry Kelly will be back again on Monday. I'm Ken Murray. Until the next time, bye for now. The Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.